Well, good morning again. Uh, it's good to uh, be with all of you in your homes. I'm coming to you live this morning from 20825 Wilderness Oak. We are uh, at the church here today. And uh, wasn't little Hadley DeMeyer, wasn't she so cute? Just just a doll. Uh, so thanks to the DeMeyer family for, being, for trusting us and for being willing to uh, go ahead and do your digital baby dedication. We love that. Uh, yeah, so I'm here live with you. Uh, really, uh, it, it kind of means a couple of different things. One is I don't really have the luxury of getting to start over and re-record anything. Uh, I've had that luxury for a few weeks, and now it's kind of like uh, if I say something stupid right now, uh, it's, it's there forever. The second thing is this, is that uh, I can go as long as I want, and you guys can just you could just shut me off. Like you could just turn your, I mean, I could go for five minutes and you could shut me off. But, but at some point, if I go too long, you know what, just, just shut me off. But I, I wanted to come live to you today because honestly, I have some things uh, that I want to share that are from my heart, uh, things that I've been thinking about and uh, that I, I really kind of wanted to respond to us meeting on site here at the church. And uh, as well as I wanted to uh, address or at least talk a little bit about uh, the fact that the president just uh, came out and made a statement that the church is essential. Uh, for the past couple of weeks, for Kelly and I, we've, we've kind of felt like we're in the midst of an emotional ping pong match where we go back and forth and we, we, don't, we, we think that we have everything figured out as far as how we're going to open up and then uh, things kind of shift and, and change and then we're unsure and we just have been going back and, back and forth and back and forth in, in how we should uh, open up the doors to this, to this facility. We have, as a staff, of course, been discussing this. We've been anticipating when the time would be right, that we would, uh, that when the time is right, we would be able to open and what would be necessary in order to do that when that time came. But at the end of the day, I'm responsible as great as our staff is and as encouraging and supportive as our leadership is, uh, at the end of the day, Kelly and I are really responsible for opening these doors. And I'm, I'm pointing here because I'm, I'm looking out at the front doors and, and we're responsible for that. That if, if we open those on behalf of this church, we have to be willing to take whatever comes our way in regard to the response from our community, from our church family, from our denomination and and I'm taking, the, really, I'm taking the responsibility for the health of everyone that walks through those doors. Now, Friday, President Trump, as many of you know, unless you've not been on social media or something, uh, he, made, he came out and he made a 60-second statement from the White House stating that churches are essential. And then he urged governors to allow churches to open up their doors and, and to, to reopen. And, uh, and I think we could just pause for a second and... And I want to just tell you that regardless of your political uh, leanings or your political belief systems, um, man, I just want to say that I'm grateful, regardless of politics, that we have a government leader, especially in light of what we've been uh, learning about and what we've been uh, reading about in Daniel, where there's all of these leaders of, the, of their country and of their, uh, of their ruling uh, class that did not give God credit and actually really rejected God. And, and so for, for me personally to know that we have a leader who's the highest leader in our land uh, 
to say that, that, that makes me happy. That to, to say that the church, that the local church is essential, that, that makes me happy. Now, I want you to know this, and, and I know you probably already know this, but it's worth saying. I'm an American. I'm an American. I love our country. I love the freedom, uh, the freedoms that are afforded to us. I love the fact that especially on this day, on uh, Memorial Day weekend, tomorrow's Memorial Day, that, uh, that, that I'm grateful for all of those who have fought and given their lives to protect those freedoms, that have given their lives, honestly, for us to even be able to consider gathering back together under one roof in a peaceful gathering, like they sacrificed for that. So I'm American. I'm patriotic. I'm as patriotic as they come. But before I'm American, I'm a representative of Jesus Christ. And so when the highest office in our land makes a statement that churches are essential, that pleases me. That makes me happy. But with all due respect, I didn't need President Trump to tell me that, right? I mean, he didn't say anything I didn't know already or uh, anything that I I didn't already believe. For that matter, we live in a state where our governor has really had limited to no restrictions on places of worship uh, throughout this whole pandemic. I believe that as a church, that everything we do is essential. I, I wouldn't be doing this. I wouldn't uh, I, I don't think I would be in the ministry if I didn't think that it was essential to making a difference in the world. If I didn't think that, if I didn't think that, that the church serving the good of this world was essential, I, I wouldn't do it. That we are actually making a difference, not just in our community, not just in the city of San Antonio, but we're actually making a difference in this world. Listen, when we encourage one another, when we, when we worship together, when we help people understand that they can be redeemed and that they can be restored, that, that when we care for those who are hurting and we provide for those who are in need, we are essential. And I believe that. In fact, my theology of church is that we serve the purpose to gather and to send, that we gather to be encouraged, to be equipped, to seek and to pray for healing, and then we send to make disciples and to be ambassadors of the kingdom of God. And and I want to say that this isn't me just being diplomatic, right? I'm not trying to just come on here and, and, and walk the line of diplomacy This is just me as your pastor sharing my heart with the people that God has entrusted me with. And I think for the most part, we all agree on moral issues. But I want to tell you a concern that I have. My concern is that the church is going to get divided because we are listening too much to the politics of all of this. And what I mean by that is that there's a lot going on with this whole pandemic, and, and there's all kinds of theories and conspiracy theories and real theories, and, and there's all of this stuff that's going on, and it has become political, so much so that, honestly, and I, I, I mean this, that, that it seems as though that if you're, if you're in the camp that will wear a mask, you're on one side of the aisle, but if you're in the camp that says, no, I'm not going to wear a mask, you're on the other side of the aisle, and masks, I don't think, should ever be political, but, but the reality is, is this whole thing has become political, 
And what I mean by that is there's, there's so much going on and, and there's so many things that just, they don't make sense. There's arbitrary rules that, are, that seemingly contradict themselves. There are states that are opening up now. There are states that won't open up until August. We have YouTube videos and Facebook posts that are brought to us by experts only to have other experts disprove those experts, which are then disproven by other experts. There are some of you who have shared that you're not ready to come back yet. And then there's others where you would have never stopped coming and gathering together in a large gathering. What we can't do is we can't become divisive in our judgment towards those who respond differently than us. And it happens. I know it happens. There's some on one side that says the other side is being irresponsible. And then the other side says that they're just living in fear. I know this. I'm aware of it. I'm, I don't live under a rock. I have social media. I, I see it. I see it in the news. I see it in social media. I see it in comments. I hear it in comments. And can we just as a church, can we commit to stop that? Can we just recognize that for a lot of different reasons, people are either ready or they're not? That they're different levels of comfortability that comes into play with how people are going to re-engage. There's a lot about this that we don't know. But no matter what it looks like when we open our doors in a couple of weeks, the reality is is that I know that Lifehouse Church will respond in grace and we will respond in love no matter what side of the spectrum you find yourself in. What I hope that we can all agree on is that regardless of whether it's meeting on site here at 20825 Wilderness Oak, or we continue to meet online and and you're meeting in your homes, can we all agree that the church, regardless of where we stand in all of this craziness, that the church is essential? And here's something else I would just add to that, is that when President Trump urged the, the churches to reopen, I would just say, we never closed. We never closed. We, we've still been worshiping together. We've still been, been hearing the word and being e- equipped and encouraged. And we still have been seeing discipleship take place and life groups meeting and rooted groups meeting that the church never closed. It just changed its location. So what do we do? How do we respond to all of this? Well, we've been in this series in the book of Daniel and and we're in chapter 6, and I was really excited, honestly, to, um, to dive into this chapter because it's one of the most famous stories that we see throughout all of Scripture, and it's the story of Daniel and the lion's den, where Daniel goes into the lion's den, and the king doesn't really want to send Daniel into the lion's den, and I'm going to read the, uh, read the chapter here towards the middle or end of my message, but uh, he doesn't really want to. I'm thinking he's probably blaming it on Carol Baskin or something, but you know, he doesn't want to send, he doesn't want to send Daniel to the lion's den, but he's kind of forced to, he's put between a rock and a hard place, and he's forced to do it, and the reality is, is God spares Daniel's life, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit as to how that all took place, and, and when I was reading this chapter, here's the thing that intrigued me the most, more than the than God saving Daniel from the lion's den, what intrigued me the most was how Daniel lived his life in the midst of a culture that was so anti-God. 
It was so controlling. It was so manipulative and full of moral decay. This is, this is what's said about Daniel. Daniel, who lived in that kind of world, this is what's said about him. And I'm going to reread it again in a second. But it, it was said that Daniel was so, dis, he so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities. By his exceptional qualities. And, and the reality is, is that what happened is, is the king planned to set him over the entire kingdom. That there was something about Daniel. And at this point, Daniel has lived six decades. He's, he's lived for 60 years from the time we started this and, and we, we began the series. He's, he's now 60 years into this and his reputation is spotless. And so what I love about Daniel and what I think we can learn from him, I think all of us can learn from him during this season in particular, is that we can be a people of exceptional qualities. He was a man who, who didn't back down from truth, but he also didn't compromise his faith. He did it in such a way that was not rebellious or a disregard to the authority that was placed over him. No, in fact, it was in those moments, that, and like the one that we'll see today, when his life was on the line. His life was on the line, and yet his faith remained strong. When I, when I think about the current cultural climate, I think, that, I think that there are some exceptional qualities that we as ambassadors of our king could have that would set us apart in this world that we live in. That people would begin to look at us for answers. Not because we are, we're so knowledgeable, but because there would be something different about us. Galatians 5, 6 reminds us of this. It says, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. And then in John chapter 13, this is the command that we're given. It says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. And it says, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So the most important thing, the only thing that counts is faith expressed through love. And then we're given this, this charge, this command that we are to Love one another in such a way that people will know that there is something different about us. So how do we navigate a culture that's living, honestly, in a lot of fear and a lot of uncertainty? And how do we live fearlessly in the midst of it? Because I think that, that too many people operate under kind of this assumption that if I'm going to stand firm for what I believe, that no one will like me. In some ways, some people even carry that as a badge of honor. And, and then there's other people that would say, well, we have to, in the name of love, that we need to somehow, like if we're going to love people well, right, if we're going to love them unconditionally, that in some way we have to change the Bible. And I don't believe that either of those are true. I think that Daniel teaches us that we can stand firm on the truth and we can do so lovingly, respectfully, and when that happens, we can gain influence with those that are around us. Today, I, I want to help us with that. And I want us to take a look at a scripture that's not in Daniel, but it's a, a familiar scripture that many of you have heard probably hundreds of times. 
It comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and it gives us this clear picture of what it looks like to have the most important thing, the the thing that counts the most is that faith with love. And it's this exceptional quality of love that we get to discover and unpack uh, unpack in this chapter. These passages are familiar to you because, honestly, if you've ever been to a wedding, you've probably heard them, right? These are wedding scriptures. We use them because it's all about the love. And and the reality is, is these scriptures are much more than agape, uh, affectionate love, right? They They are much more than that. These verses are a guidebook to how we should respond in love to those people who are who think differently than us, how we respond to people who are uh, acting in a way that maybe we disagree with. Uh, this, is, this is a guidebook in how we respond to government officials who, who maybe uh, don't honor God the same way that we do as we see in Daniel. Because this is what I know, is that without love, all that I say is ineffective that my words don't matter anymore if they don't come with love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1 says this, if I speak in tongues, uh, in the tongues of men or of angels, in, in other words, if I have all the wisdom to speak, but I don't have love, I'm just, I'm just noise. I'm just like, I'm like that noise that just drives you nuts. It's just kind of in the background. It's just, it's just annoying. It's a resounding gong or it's a clanging cymbal and it's just, it's, it's just uncomfortable. And I just want to say that we live in a culture that is, has glorified opinion and comments. And social media and the political world and the news has fed into this. We live in a culture that, that if I disagree with you, that it's no longer I just disagree with you, it's I hate you. And what in the world has happened to our culture? What's happened in our world that when we disagree, we can't just simply disagree or agree to disagree. There is so much animosity and so much hate that comes with that disagreement. Can we just say that we're not going to be those people, Lifehouse? Can we be a church that's just going to say we're not going to let that junk come out of our mouths? Even if we disagree with people, even if we think that they're completely wrong, we're not going to allow that hatred or that vitriol to come out of our mouths. I heard it said like this, that we cannot antagonize and influence at the same time. I've also heard it said that you will never win your enemies to Christ. So don't have any. Don't have any enemies. Ephesians 4.15 says, we speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ. So without love, my words, uh, all I say is completely ineffective. And then without love, of course, all I know is insignificant. I don't know if this is true or not, but I have heard that knowledge is doubling every three years that we're getting smarter and smarter and that our technology is advancing and uh, we have smarter phones and yet it seems as though our world is worse off. It goes on in verse 2 to say, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, but if I do it without love, I'm nothing. See, it doesn't matter if you, you have all of this information. It doesn't matter if you're right even. 
If there's not love behind that, we're in trouble. Without love, all I believe is insufficient. See, the reality is, is belief is not enough. We attach some behavior onto our belief. The verse 2 goes on and, and finishes, if I have faith that can move the mountains, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. I'm nothing. Without love, all I give is incomplete. Lifehouse, you are an amazingly generous church. But it's not how much you give. It's the heart and the love of the people in which you give to. Listen, you are, you are touching people's lives. You are, you are walking with people. You are making a difference in this world. And even in a case that you may not even know about. In fact, this coming week, we're going to be sending even more resources, more finances down to the Amazon, down to the Columbia uh, Amazon region to One Allen and to Medical Ministry International where they're partnering with the federal government of Columbia to get medical care up the river and the boats that uh, they're using and the gas that they're using to do that. Uh, we're able to help support in that process that we are partnering with Columbia to, to bring real love and real life to make a difference in that region. We love our churches in Cienega de Oro and and we're going to be sending some money for them to get a video camera so that they can go live for their church services and some of the stuff that they're doing there as well. And, and so there's, there's all of these things. And I, honestly, I probably haven't done a great job communicating some of those things, but we've done things with our local ministries here. We've set aside funds to help those people uh, in benevolent situations who've maybe lost jobs or who need help with groceries. Church, you have done a great job with that. But listen to what verse 3 says. It says, if I give all I possess to the poor, but I don't have love, that's a problem. See, what, what people don't realize is that it's not how much you give, it's the heart and the love by which you give it. And honestly, with our giving, if we're not careful, it could become a source of pride. It could be like, well, look at how much I've given. Look at how much I've done. But Lifehouse, what I want to tell you is that when we have the heart to give no matter what it is, how, no matter how much it is, when our heart is connected and in tune with what God is asking us to do, we experience amazing, amazing fruitfulness. See, without love, it goes on to say, all I accomplish is inadequate. We live in a culture, especially here in this area, where a lot of people value accomplishment. Right? But the truth is, is that we're going to stand before God and, and we're going to be judged. Not, not on our accomplishments, but, but how well we loved. Uh, verse 3 says, if I give over my body to hardship so that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. In other words, if I, if I sacrifice everything so that I get all of these accomplishments and all of these promotions and all of this money so that I can boast and say, look at what I've done, but you have not love. It's actually worthless. The rest of the chapter, and I, I could just skip past it because many of us have heard this, but it, it's worth reading again in light of the fact that what I'm calling our church to is, is to a place and a reminder to be a people of love. It goes on in verse 4. It says, love is patient. Love is kind. Love doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It's not proud. And listen to this, Lifehouse. 
Love does not dishonor others. It doesn't dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It, in fact, it, it keeps no records of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices when the truth wins out. It always hopes. Love always hopes. It always perseveres. Love always moves forward because you know what? And this is what I want you to hear. Love, if we have this exceptional quality of love in our life, it never will fail us. I wonder what it would look like if we as a church would love well every day. If we look at the life of Daniel and we see him being polite and yet he stood strong. When we see Daniel standing firm, but yet he somehow found himself in these influential circumstances. In every situation he was was in, he never budged in his convictions. He never compromised the truth, but he was able to do so in such a way that he was respectful of those in authority over him, even if it cost him his life. When we embrace some of these godly qualities, what will happen is it will separate us from from the world. It will separate us from everything else. So I want us to read in Daniel chapter 6. I'm just going to kind of read through the chapter. And then I want to come back and I want to give you three just practical things that we can do to love people well. All right, this is going to be long. It's a long chapter. or or Not a long chapter, but it's a lot of verses here that I'm going to read to you. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel, this is the verse that I read to you earlier, so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set set over the whole kingdom to him. At this, the administrators and the satraps, they were kind of upset about this situation. They tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel because they're like, hey, what are we, chopped liver? And he's like, they, they tried to set, find charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him. <laughs> Can we just pause for a second and say, wouldn't it be nice to have government leaders without corruption? And, and, and I would just, I would pivot on that and say, what are we doing to pray for our government leaders, that there would be no corruption? How are we loving well in that? It goes on to say, because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we don't know what to do. We'll never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel. It goes on in verse 10. It says, when Daniel learned that there had been this decree that had been published, he, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem And three times a day, he would get down on his knees and pray. He would give thanks to his God just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and they found Daniel praying and and asking God for help. And and I want to just pause and just say, it's not like Daniel heard this decree and then all of a sudden decided that he was was going to become a prayer warrior. The truth is, is that he had the habit of praying. And what I would say to that is you make your habits and then your habits make you. That, that if you're not a person of, of, of prayer in your discipline, in your habits, then I would just say, what do you need to do to create that habit in your life? 
He goes on in verse 12 and says, So they went to the king, they spoke to him, because this was forbidden, about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or human being except to you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, Well, the decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. And so, reluctantly, the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually, may he rescue you. See, God was with Daniel in the pit. I would say if you find yourself in the pits, he's going to be with you. Verse 19 says, at the first light of dawn, the king got up. Before breakfast, he just jumps up out of bed and he hurries to the lion's den. When he, comes, he, when he came near to the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your, has your God whom you serve continually been able to rescue you from the lions? And Daniel answered, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I done any wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed in hearing this, and he gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Again, we see this example where Daniel doesn't back down, but he stands firm. And in the midst of that, God was with him. God protected him and cared for him. And so how do we love well in the midst of this pandemic? Right? For, for that matter, the, it's, it's not just in the midst of this pandemic. We could, we, how do we love people tomorrow? Like these are things, these are practical things that we could wake up and be committed to and say, I'm going to love people well in this. Well, the first thing that I would say is that we could serve them. We saw that with Daniel throughout this, that Daniel was a constant servant towards the kings that he served under. See, I, I'm going to find a need and I'm going to see if I can fulfill that need. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 9, 19. He says, though I am free and I belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. And I want to tell you, church, that this, this challenged me this week. Because I, I've had a, quite a few people ask me if we're going to require mass when we return, when we come back on site. And the honest truth is, I'm just this is me kind of pouring my heart, this is me being a little bit vulnerable with you, is I don't want to wear a mask. I don't like it. Uh, it frustrates me. Uh, my wife's even worse. She, she, she's, she, she, she's in the room. But she's like, I, I, I hate it. I hate putting the mask on. And, and I realize that there's all kinds of opinions out there. And there's experts that say that it, that it helps you and that it's going to help prevent spread. And then there's others who, who are saying that, you know what, it doesn't really accomplish a whole lot. But the reality is, is for me, I even thought this. I, I had this thought. I thought, they can't make me wear a mask. I'm American. <laughs> it's unconstitutional. They can't make me do it. And then in, pre- in preparation for today, I read that verse. The truth is, is that I, I am right in that I'm free and I belong to no man. But am I willing to make myself a slave to everyone else in order to win as many as possible? Am I willing to do the things that I don't really want to do in order to love those who I 
deeply care about. The truth is, is that a mass isn't some sort of, uh, of religious rejection of God or anything. It's just something that I don't honestly want to do. But, but the reality is, is could I do it? Could I lay my needs and my wants aside in order to become a slave to someone else and do it not because I feel obligated to by some government official, but because I love people who maybe would not walk into this building unless I was wearing one. One of the things we're kicking around is, as a church, as a staff, is do we, for a season of time, do we have a service where it's just mass or required for the sake of those who aren't yet ready to come back into an environment that doesn't have mass? Right? We haven't made a final decision on that. We're still processing it. The staff's going to meet again on Tuesday, and we're going to have conversations about this. And In fact, we're going to send out at the uh, end of service today, uh, at the end of both of our services, we're going to send out a survey, another survey. I know we already sent one. This is going to be another survey with some different questions in it because we're trying to get a feel for what our church, where our church is and what our church is comfortable with and looking for uh, for us in, in our reopen. And so uh, we're going to be sending that out towards the afternoon and we'll finalize those questions. But But my question for us is, is are we willing to lay aside some of those things? You can say all you want. Well, it's not right. They can't make me. I understand that. I even agree with it. But at the end of the day, we can love well when we make ourselves a slave to others for the sake of Jesus in their life. We can also love well when we set an example for them. I know some of you, this probably terrifies you that you would think that you would be an example of the kingdom of God. Right? The the truth is, is that when you encounter the grace and the forgiveness and you surrender your life to Jesus, your heart is changed. And and you, you may be like this, but now all of a sudden, through the redemption of Christ, you're like this. You, you haven't arrived fully. There's still a lot of growth. But your life and your heart has changed. You've come a long ways. And, and what I would tell you is that you get to be an example to the people that you come into contact with. Matthew 5 says you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything. And then it goes on to say, and I put all of the scriptures in, in the notes, but neither do, uh, it goes on to give us the example of the light. You are the light of the world. You are a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, church, in the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and and they will praise your Father in heaven. Like it or not, we we are an example and we are testifying to the love of Christ in our life to our community that we we are placed in. Yes, it is our constitutional right to gather back together. Truthfully, we could have legally done it today. But just because it's our right doesn't mean that we should. And we must take into account the testimony of love towards those in our community. And then finally, we love well when we share Christ with them. 1 Peter chapter 3 says, But in your hearts, in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. And then always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. 
When you come into contact with people, do they see something different in you? Do they see hope in your life? And are you prepared to answer the question, this is why I have hope? It goes on to say, but when you do this, do it with gentleness and do it with respect. Keep a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. The theme of this series has been living fearlessly in a fearful culture. We're able to do that because of the hope that we have in Christ. Like Daniel, we can, we can walk in this. Like Daniel, we can walk through quarantine and pandemics. We can walk through much worse than that. Certainly he did. And we could do it because we know that he is our deliverer, because our hope is not in our own actions. It's not in a vaccine. It's not in some cure. It's, uh, our hope is in him. He is our deliverer. I said there's going to be people who are tempted to label people as fearful because they are not comfortable coming unless there's masks. There will be people on the other side that, that will say, well, if you're not willing to come and do that, then you're being irresponsible. Right? The, the reality is, is, is that there will be, on both sides of this equation, there will be people who are tempted to judge one another. And they'll say, well, they're being reckless and inconsiderate and unloving. And they'll say, well, they're just living and operating out of fear. And we're not a people of fear. Can I just tell you, don't do it. Don't do that. Don't get, if there's one way the enemy is going to create and use this for divisiveness, it's in that. Let us all live with gentleness, as Peter says. Let us live with gentleness and respect. Can we love people well regardless of where they're at in this equation? Love your life and live your life in such a way that everyone around you sees you as influential, as distinguishable. Live your life in such a way that people say, what is this hope that you have? See, how I act is more important than what I say. I wanted to have very specific answers for you on how we will be meeting in two weeks. But we're still evaluating them. Some of the details are not finalized. We're close to it. We're still planning to meet with some of our Dream Team leaders next Sunday. And they'll be in our first service. They'll be live. That's an invitation-only situation. And, and I know that may feel a little exclusive, but we've identified people who are willing to serve. And we're going to do some, uh, we're going to do a live service, a live gathering together. We're going to live stream that to you like we did today. And then in second service, uh, second service, we'll see a recording of first service because during second service, we're going to be training all of those Dream Team members in how to create an environment for you to feel safe. Why? Because we're giving in to the CDC or the WHO or the, or, or the mayor or the governor or the, or the president. No, we're doing it because we love you. And we want to love well. We don't want to see anybody get sick. We certainly don't want our community to see us as a testimony of sickness and not a testimony of love. We care about you immensely. And so we're, we're still looking at some of those details. I wanted to have those details for you. I just don't. But the reality is, is as we train our dream team members to serve you coffee, we're going to have coffee. There's no way we're gathering together and we're not going to have coffee. We're going to have it. But you're not going to get your own coffee. We're going to have 
dream team members who love you well and will serve you in a, in a way that uh, satisfies most of people's feelings of cleanliness and all of that. Uh, and, and as I said, we're kicking around a service with masks uh, in one of the service and then optional in the second service. And, uh, and then we're kicking around only offering Lifehouse Kids one service. Uh, and then we're also kicking around the idea of maybe not offering Lifehouse Kids uh, for a month or so. We, we don't know. But we're, we're looking at all of these options. We're looking and, and praying and asking God, what, where is there peace in our hearts as to when we can open up and how we open up. We are looking to love well in the process because we want to create an environment where you feel safe, you feel comfortable, and we could gather together. When this, all of this started, I had hoped that we would have this big, massive celebration. The truth is, is based upon survey results already, I think it's going to be a trickle back. I think there's going to be some that are going to be feeling more comfortable than others, and then there's going to be some who are just going to watch online. And hear me when I say this. That's okay. It's okay. There's no judgment. There's no, we want to love you well, whether you're at home, online, watching, and us interacting with you online, or whether you're here in the building serving coffee, or you're here in the building worshiping together. Listen, we are the church, and we must not be divided in this. I, I love the fact of, of, of our influence that has broadened because of our online presence. Yes, we've always been online, not always, but for years we've been online. But we've certainly upped that a lot in the last 10 weeks or so. We've invested a lot of our resources into creating an environment that's uh, palatable to watch online and all of that. And uh, sure, there's been hiccups along the way, but, but honestly, we're learning and growing in this and and doing a great job. Uh, I heard a story in between services today that there was someone that works for American Airlines. They, uh, they actually were watching us online in first service from 37,000 feet. I'm hoping it wasn't the pilot and, and that he wasn't distracted, but, uh, but I just thought that was cool that there's people, our, our reach of the message of Jesus and the love of Christ to this world has been broadened, and we will never stop reaching out online. That will never go away. What we hope to do is we hope to come back and to be able to gather and to be equipped, to be sent. And yet, I would just remind you, the church was never closed. It was never closed. We were still discipling. We were still caring. We were still worshiping and loving one another. Listen, I love you guys. I feel like I know I'm not in your homes right now or, you know, if you're in the car watching this or whatever, but... But I, I just want you to know that Kelly and I love you and that the decisions that we're making in this next week and how we're going to reopen on the 7th uh, will not be based out of human knowledge. It'll be based out of the peace that surpasses all understanding, the peace that can only come from the Holy Spirit himself. And we're going to trust in that and we're going to love him in that and we're going to do our best to serve you in a way where you feel comfortable and confident coming back and worshiping along with us.